0: So I started applying for programs by the end of 2013, and I received my first exchange program in 2016. So it was three years of getting rejection.
1: For some reason, the intro keeps getting me swinging. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world right now. Thank you for tuning in to Social Confos. I am your co-host, jean Next to me is co-host Diego. Diego, how are you today?
2: I'm doing good, aside from these technical issues, but you know how it is. We fix it, <laughs> we patch it up and keep on going. And hopefully next week, everything will be perfectly fine again. But we're back, yeah. How has your day been? You said you had a weird day just as we went on.
1: Yeah, well, I think the cool part of the day is I won NBA Top Shot Pack on Twitter today. I don't know which pack it is yet, but I guess we'll do an opening video and probably I'm going to give away one of the moments in the pack as well. So that might be a cool thing to do. I mean, it's it's always nice to give away NFTs. And I think we'll dive a little bit into that, maybe towards. The yeah, end speaking of NFTs,
2: I, I think we'll definitely dive into it based on who we have today. And let's not just uh, beat around the bush and go straight into it. Today we have Mr. Moreno Jackson. And yes, I added the mister deliberately because he is not just into NFTs, he's into a wide range of activities. If people look at you, look and they say you're doing a lot of stuff, I think Moreno is on par, if not more than doing I more stuff than I think he does than more Luke. than I do. <laughs> yeah, so we'll keep this short. I've known Moreno since at the university. We've, we've been in the same, I guess, course, electrical engineering. And he went the energy route. But aside from that, he's been very entrepreneurial. He's been part of a lot of initiatives. He has applied and received a lot of grants, pro exchange programs. So he knows the ins and outs of you know receiving exchange programs, how to apply for these things, how to find them. And I think that's something that a lot of people might find interesting, which is why I thought it was very good to have him here and also on how he finds these opportunities. And that's why I came with a team on how to compound these opportunities, because the more I talk to him about it, it seems every time it gets easier for him Then every month he's in another country. It's crazy. But without further ado, he's gonna tell us all about it himself. Moreno, welcome to Social Compost. Yes, good
0: afternoon. Diego, and Jean-Luc it's a great honor to be part of this amazing initiative, and I really look forward to diving in some of uh, the topics that we are, have on schedule, and of course, anything that would may pop up, we can get into that.
1: So, so let's start with amazing <clears throat> initiatives. I mean, we just discussed it. I think the reason I know for sure you're in, definitely into more projects than I am is because of the amount of projects you're involved with at the moment. And some of these projects are together with the US embassy. Some of these projects are entrepreneurial projects which are run by yourself and together with friends or business partners. And we do have to ask like where where did do you remember a specific moment in your life or something specific that made you realize, I'm kind of entrepreneurial, not necessarily focusing only on being an entrepreneur and making money, but just going out there and looking for opportunities. When when did that start or how did that start?
0: Yeah, well, actually, that actually that's a very good question. I remember because I was um, really mapping out my, out my life and really um, trying to see where the entrepreneurial spirit came from. And it was actually, uh, it was... I was around 16 and then you had these BlackBerry phones, you know, the one with, the, they had the balls on it. And then what you what you had is that I was fixing phones, You know, like I was repairing phones and people would come to me and ask me like, could you fix this ball for me? And then they would bring their own balls and I would fix it and get a small amount of profit. But then I saw that on eBay, you know, eBay was very hot then. I, I saw that they were selling like, 200 balls for $10. And I was thinking to one time, two times, I said, okay, let's buy it and see how this turns out. So I bought it. And with those 200 balls, I made maybe around 500 US dollars and I invested like 20 US. And I started to see, like, whoa, this, okay, this is nice. I like this. And that's when I started doing more with entrepreneurial initiatives. But at that specific time, I didn't have the particular knowledge about entrepreneurship. I was just doing it like, okay, I'm I'm investing X amount, I'm getting out of it a y amount. But after maybe, I think, five years when I was at the university, I started to get more into the details, like the, th- the theory behind entrepreneurship. And from there on, it just went skywards that.
2: When you speak of not having the knowledge of entrepreneurship, what would you define as being, you know, knowledgeable yeah. enough around entrepreneurship? Yeah. What would be one or two key factors for you that defines you or defines someone doing something entrepreneurial?
0: Yeah. So, well, it's, it's not all about the money, you know, because when you're talking about entrepreneurship, you all, you, you need to think long-term so maybe if you are going into a business and you think okay first month you didn't make profit next month you don't make profit and you just stop you're losing sight of the bigger picture so um, with that knowledge i was able to know that okay i have to make a forecast for a year and then break down those costs into one like your de- definition of how much is your cost per product and then focus on that not just okay I'm investing $100 this month, so at the end of the month, I need to have 200 US dollars. So I think that that was very important in terms of entrepreneurship and also gaining the knowledge with the Lean Startup because there was a particular time where I thought, okay, I need to have $10,000 to start a business and then I'm going to take five employees, rent a, a, a office space, but it can limit you because you are always able to start with what you have and what you have is most of the time you have knowledge, you have friends, you have family, you have internet. So you don't need all of those big things that you see maybe on YouTube. You see those Google companies having a lot of amazing resources and you think, okay, I want to have that also. No, just start. And along the way, you can always be um, expanding your business and your business concept.
1: I really want to quickly jump into that because from a traditional perspective, especially in Suriname, like the dream is always to have this big company with a lot of employees. It's kind of the golden standard. And now you talk about having a lean company, don't making costs that you don't necessarily uh, need. Do you feel like we in Suriname are more ready now to move towards lean companies than we were like maybe 10, 20 years ago? And how would you advise somebody to to start out with this? What is... What is, I think, maybe or to ask you, the biggest misconception about having a lean company instead of having a a company where you have as many uh, employees as possible?
0: Yeah, so to answer the first part, yes, I think, I believe that we are very much ready here in Suriname to have more lean companies. And that's just basically based on the fact that we have more information at our fingertips so we are able to connect with people from belize people from australia and see how they are doing it there and then implement those strategies those concepts into our business so in my um few the world is not divided into the countries because that's just the political system but Uh, the world is a playground, just I can go anywhere, you can go anywhere. So everyone in the world is like my brothers, my sister. So I don't see specific like parts of the world in terms of countries. And then to answer the second part, the misconception of having a lean company, people are, you're always starting with the end in mind. So you're thinking like, okay, I want to have this big company. And another thing that really is is one of the factors that people are thinking that okay a lean company doesn't make money because if you're just in a basement it looks like you're struggling and you're you're not uh, actually making money but the goal is not to let it look like you're making money you have to make the money and then the money has to have to work for you so i think that that's very important but it's a mindset So when people would receive their first paycheck, maybe $10,000, they would just quickly upgrade, like get a new car, get a new office space, um, upgrade anything that's becoming actually a liability instead of an asset. And that helps them make more money. And I know that it's very difficult because once the money starts coming in, you think, okay, I can upgrade my lifestyle. I don't want to ride a bike anymore, but you just have to find that Um, consistent way that the money works for you so that you can work with your profits and then the money doesn't decrease so that that's eh, eh, that's, that's the way that
2: I want to bring up a quick comparison between I guess you you usually have these two extremes right you have the academic route and then you have the like the hustle culture the entrepreneur uh, buying things and selling them flipping them buying stuff from eBay and as you said making 10 times, uh, 50 times on that investment. And I've known you for a while and you've done, you've actually excelled in academics as well. You've done after the undergrad, you've done uh, other international uh, programs as well. So where do you stand in that hot debate between you know academics versus the hands-on hustle culture, entrepreneurial culture? Because you have seen the best of both, actually, and are actually combining them.
0: Yeah, so I would say that I, was, I would lean more towards, towards the academic culture in terms of entrepreneurial because I really like to do research on before starting a company or investing in a business, so I really like to do research on a company and seeing how much you can gain out of it, what's the long-term perspective. But I still have a lot of that hustle mentality. So I could easily flip a buck. But if it's just for a day or a week, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I like to have consistency. I like to have continuity in, in into a business model. I value that more than just earning a quick, um, flip at the moment, but if you would ask me the same question 10 years ago, I would just go for the quick buck.
1: <laughs> okay, because I think, like like you mentioned, you and Diego met actually at the university. You studied, you're actually, can we call you an uh, electricity expert or not?
0: <laughs> yes, you have to call me an e- uh, energy expert, electricity expert. I actually work at a local energy company as a distribution power system engineer. So I do a lot of calculations in terms of distributing the load towards the customers, such as ourselves.
1: So basically, you're an engineer. And yes. so how much difference is your being an engineer from being like an engineer online?
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's everything is solving I don't like to say problems, so that's what I was thinking, but it's just solving problems. So in the engineering world, you have to solve the problem of, okay, how can I get the energy in a most efficient way to my customers? and the same thing you do in business like okay how can i serve my customers in a most efficient way that is that that they are pleased with the service but also that i'm not i'm not losing money because i don't think anyone wants to start a business and then you structurally lose money over e- each month that means something in your business model is not actually working so it's, it's it's similar it's just like my 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 days are just when i wake up it's like okay let's go solve some problems. And then it can be a business, it can be an engineering world.
2: How do you balance that out having like, as you said, you work for the uh, local energy company, having that engineering, I'd say day job, and then combining that with all the other entrepreneurial activities. Do you see it as a supplement, a necessity, or is it just a bonus of having, you know, uh, a fixed income from one side compared to the unknown of doing your entrepreneurial venture?
0: Yeah, well, that's a question that I, <laughs> it's the first time that someone asked me that directly, just like that. But um, it's, for me, it's important to have, because I really like the engineering energy um world because that's what I studied and I and I know that it it really creates an impact because as we know, we are becoming more dependent on electricity. If you know if there's a power outage, everything's almost out if in, unless you have a generator, but also that's power generation. But I really like the part of having my own business because that gives you more flexibility also in terms of scalability. And I say that as long as I'm able to combine those two, I will be just doing that. And I've heard the debate like, okay, if you would maybe skip your day job or quit your day job and then focus 100% on your business, you could go much bigger, you could reach higher heights. And I'd say that the way I look at life, I say that everything comes at the right time. So when i feel like okay this is the time to dive in deeper like shift my focus 100% i will do that but at the particular moment i'm just enjoying being the having the best of both worlds just to say it like that and yeah so i think that 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 sums up it a, a, a bit
1: so for most people it would be the best of both worlds but you kind of also have a third world which you've created for yourself And you are one of the first people that I've actively seen promoting, like, people, like, especially young entrepreneurs, like, listen, there are so many opportunities, there are so many grants, there are so many opportunities to go abroad. And not just saying, like, okay, I'm going to do this for myself, and I'm going to tell people that I'm doing this for myself, but you've always actively also been involved letting others know, like, listen, you can actually apply to this. So when was the first time that you came across one of these programs and that you decided like, Hey, I'm going to take this opportunity to travel abroad.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a good, this is a good question. So it was in 2012. Before 2012, I had traveled just one time. That was in 2011. I went to Miami with my family. It was the first time I got on a plane. I had so much anxiety And I said to my mother that, you know, I don't like this traveling thing. I don't like it. I'm never stepping on a flight again. That was just an emotional um, (laughs) expression, I think, now that I think of it. And then in 2012, we were at the university, me, Diego, a lot of other students. And we received the opportunity to go to travel to the Netherlands to take part at a renewable energy conference. So that was that would be the first time I would take part or participate at a conference style traveling, and then have all you know have a program, not just going on vacation, but have a strict program. So I did that. Um, we ended up third place. We had to do design a solar car with, and I was I, I needed to do the electrical part. We had mechanical, we had infrastructure. So we all made a team, and it was very it was a very good experience. So when I went back to Suriname, when I came back, I said, "Oh, I like this. I'm going to search actively search for more opportunities. And what I, what I did is, okay, I thought, let me start searching for other organizations here in Suriname that um, offer um, training because I, I for myself enter the social world more. So, I joined the GCI in 2013. So, if you see the timeline, 2013, I joined JCI. 2014, I became a member. And from that point on, I started actively um, applying for programs. So, I started applying for programs by the end of 2013. And I received my first exchange program in 2016. So, it was three years of getting rejection, rejection, because I was just writing those. Um, applications in enthusiasm I was writing just how I would talk how I I was just writing without a a red line like no particular structure so I was receiving rejection or sometimes I wouldn't even finish the application form because it was too much or they would ask questions where I wouldn't know the answer so every time I started I, I like I Added some more, did some more research, and in 2016 I was accepted to the to take part at the Wildlife Program, and from there on, from 2016 until 2021, I have took part at 23 international exchange programs. So it was a lot of traveling in the last uh, five years. Yes. So to
2: sum it up, to, to, so to sum it up, three years of rejection. Yeah, three, three to three and a half years of rejection, you get this one opportunity and that spiraled the last five years into 23. That's an average of four exchange programs per year.
0: Yeah, in 2017, I had seven. So I was seven times like going up, up, up. So that was, that was nice. Yeah. And that's including the COVID-2020 restrictions. So, and because in 2020, I didn't go anywhere, but I, I took part at at least, I think, 12 virtual programs because it doesn't stop. You still need to connect with one another. You still need to maintain your network. And Actually, maybe I'm getting ahead of things, but in 2020, I sent a lot of persons in my network, a lot of persons abroad. I send them emails asking them how they're coping up with the COVID-19 virus, Just just like showing that you still think about them. And Diego knows it. We also did sessions by, where we invited people from all over the world to share how they were experiencing the COVID-19 um, situation, the pandemic in their particular um, neighborhood, their country. And by that, we made sure that it was becoming more, people were talking about it and knowing that, okay, We had people from Italy sharing the, you know, because Italy was one of the first countries where it was really hit hard. And people from Suriname could hear that and say, okay, no, we don't want that here. We need to take more measurements into account and don't take it. Um, as it's just some conspiracy theory, it's real. So but that's, that's, yeah, that's I,
2: one way. I remember a few of those in March, April of 2020. Yeah. But okay. b- before we get into building and maintaining those relationships, I want to go a bit practical on the, the finding and applying for these exchange programs. So yeah. what changed from the three years that you had, you know, no filter on and you just uh, wrote stuff what changed in the approach or the tactical approach in applying for these programs and to consecutively successfully get accepted or get granted to one of these exchange programs?
0: Yeah, okay, good question. So one of the main things that changed is that when I joined JCI, I was starting to execute projects in our community and then I could use those projects to fill in my application form, because before that, I would just write in those applications for what I wanted to do, like, I want to do this, or I have an idea to change my community, but I didn't have any numbers, no impact. So um, those three years of rejection, I worked in the community, like doing training programs, building greenhouses for childcare centers, and, you know, what's very, what was very important is like documenting. I had a medium having articles about all these initiatives. And because when you have this application, they have to choose from so many persons from the entire world. And they would ask, okay, share some of your work. And before that question, I was always going to leave it open or just put a link to something that was not really connected to me. And it was really one of the questions that decides if you come in or not, because they really want to have persons that are already doing something in the community. So those three years, I worked on that, documented it, had a lot of pictures, and then I started using those results to take in, like, to use in my application form. I believe that that really was a strategic change, in the, a technical change in the way that I would also write my application forms because I would now talk more in terms of what will it mean for the community, not what would I gain from it. Because I would say like, before I would say, I want to learn this, I want to visit the countries, talk to another another peers, but I would now talk more in terms of, okay, what's it going to mean for my country? What's it going to mean for the community? What's it going to mean for the target audience? And from there on,
1: started to go upwards. Yes, I quickly want to jump into this because Diego, I don't know if you agree with me, but it sounds a lot like the pedigree entrepreneur versus the non pedigree entrepreneur. Where I think the leverage that you had, Moreno, you know, at the time when you applied like two, three years later, because of the pedigree that you had, like people saw that you actually had achieved. So I think that's very valuable insight, Jason. Actually agrees that it's uh, very valuable and they are in awe in the comments about the 23, the twenty-two exchange programs, <laughs> you have a fellow YLI alumni here that's <laughs> giving you a shout out. And also uh, some is also saying like, go Moreno. And I think one of the words that sums it up nicely is uh, persistence as well. And also a shout out from Gregory, glad to say that you are, who are here. And now I'm going to allow Diego to continue with some more in-depth questions.
2: Yes. No, that's, that's really great. And I agree with you on that part, right? comparing the pedigree and non-pedigree. And maybe not completely because the, the pedigree, non-pedigree debate is kind of, you know, where your environment. And I'd say Moreno consciously chose to go into a certain environment like the JCI to kind of build that pedigree. So it's not that he had the pedigree, he kind of built it over time slowly. And that kind of compounded. And I'm very fond of the compound effect, especially in investing. And if you look at it from through that lens in opportunities, we've had several conversations before and Moreno helped me through some applications as well in the past. I remember he said one thing to me, once you get one rolling, the next one gets easier and easier and easier to apply because it's basically it's the same format they look at the same things and you've already filled this form so many times so it's just copy paste adjust it and then tweak it to you know fit the framework that they've given you so what else can you tell us about this compound effect in opportunities and how that has you know, aside from just being accepted, played a role in growing your network, growing your opportunities? How has that worked out for you?
0: Yeah. So one thing that I really value for myself and for others is that I I always want to share information information with others. Because when I started to do the applications, I needed to do a lot of research. I needed to go on websites. You need to check if Suriname is eligible because sometimes I would just start with an application and at the end you were search for Suriname and you see that it's not there and then you're not eligible. I would email those organizations asking them if they would make an exception because, you know, it's tried to still work something out but most of the time I think it never worked actually worked, but, you know, you're just writing it. But one thing that I really um, think helped me in, in that compounding effect is that once I started to share more information with people or not only around me, but like around me and also on social media, when they would see opportunities, they will also share it with me like, hey, Moreno, this is something I think you could look into. I have persons that are always sending me stuff and I would go into it. And if I would get selected, I would really thank them. It's not like You would get selected and you forget. And then it's just doing those relationships and adding value to each other. Because when I would send something maybe to Diego and he he tells me, no, I don't have maybe I don't have the time to look into it next time. I'm still going to send it to him because I know when the time is right, he's going to look into it. And sometimes I can also be a little bit pressing to persons because the things that I've um, experience at these conferences. I would love to have everyone experience at least one time such an international conference because it just broadens your view about anything. The world, cultural. Like one time, I went to Russia and people were like, "You're going to Russia? No, that is dangerous." And I was like, "No, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to see for myself if it's dangerous." And once I went. It was just and everything. How, how went close
2: through. were you to Putin?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Putin was, I think, ten meters in front of me. He was really close. He was really close. It was not long, maybe five to ten minutes, but we really, I got to see him. I have a lot of videos with him, so that that was that was an indeed it was a nice conference in Russia. Yes.
1: So we have to to jump into the travel part, like you said you traveled once and you were like, yeah, this is not happening for me anymore. Then you got the hang of it. You're like, okay, I really want to do this. And then of course, now you have a lot of experience traveling. What, what, What are the things that you, when you look back at what happened with COVID, what are the things that you have missed most over the past one and a half years? First of all, you recently traveled outside of Suriname as well. How much different, maybe it's good to start off with, how much different that was compared to before COVID, but then again, also what you missed most uh, about traveling during that time span that you weren't allowed to or had limited opportunities to travel?
0: Yeah. So, okay. First thing that really was a challenge for me in terms of traveling is doing the PCR test. I just, anyone that knows me is that I, I really, I don't like Having to think my nose or those kind of things, so that was really a challenge. But then, okay, you have to do it because you cannot. I don't want to stay in one place, uh, so I want to explore. And then the first time that I went, that I traveled, that was in May this year. It was really weird, just to see the airport full with people wearing masks. And even though I saw it in Suriname, you know, when you're going in the streets, you have everyone wearing masks. But once you enter an international airport, then you see people from different countries, and everyone wears a mask. It gives just gives you another some kind of feeling like we're all in this together. So it's not that Suriname has to wear masks or or Guyana has to wear masks. no. Even if your country is safe, when you come into certain spaces, you need to wear a mask. So that was I really know that when I entered the airport and I saw that uh, everyone came coming together, I really maybe for five to ten seconds I was still and just trying to accept like, this is real. This is things that we were seeing in movies and we're experiencing it now. But then again, when you're on the flight, people are sitting beside you, you're having something to eat. People are getting their mouse and nose cap, nose cap off. You're thinking like, okay, if we have to wear it in the line, why do we, can we take it off when we are eating? So we, I had some questions for myself, but of course you're just following the the, the guidelines, the rules. But other than that, it was just just the same as in Trinidad. When you're coming into stores, you have to do the temperature, you have to sanitize, and then you could, you would have to say, you know, of course, the one and a half meter apart. But what I saw is that people really had the need to like, you know, like go out. When people would go to the beach, they would go all out, you know. So I think that we as human beings, we really have the the, the 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 need for social interaction, just like we're doing with social confos at the moment. So I, I I I know we have introverted and extroverted persons, but I believe that every human being still has some kind of craving for having interaction with one another, and of course outside of your standard environment also. And so that's the how I experience it. And the thing that I is it the things that I miss the most. The second second part of the question
1: Yeah what was the thing you missed the most when you weren't traveling? What did you miss the most about traveling?
0: Yeah well the most most of my travels were in the international conferences, meeting persons, hearing their stories and I would come at some conferences all fired up like I will I will go to share the initiative that I'm doing in Suriname. And when I would talk most of the time to persons from Latin America or persons from the African continent, I would just stop because the things that they are doing and the way and the passion that they share their stories is nowhere compared to what the way I tell it. I tell it with enthusiasm, but they just cry when they tell their stories. So when um, I was doing some of the programs online, I missed that the emotion yeah. behind the stories, yeah. So 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 that that's something that I really miss. Like the emotion behind the stories. And also at international conferences, you have a program maybe until five PM. But there's a lot of informal stuff happening from five PM to nine. We go grab a beer, we go play pool, you know. So that that's where you're also building those relationships, professional relationships, where would I when I would go to a country, I could easily just text someone, hey, I'm here. And it would take care of everything just based on those informal relationships that we build on on, on these programs.
2: So you're pretty much a very people person, outgoing, energetic, I'd say extrovert. And you've made it kind of like, how do you call this? Yeah, made it into your own going to these conferences. And I think you mentioned something very important there that... After the official sessions, that's where the real relationship building happens. That's where the real stuff happens. Can you think, I, I'm going to split this in, in, in three, first one. What would you say to people like myself, who are more on the introvert, asocial side to make use of these opportunities that after the official program's over, that is where actually the real stuff happens. How would you encourage, or what practical advice would you have for them on integrating that in that whole experience?
0: Yes. Okay. So the first, (laughs) the way to answer that question in a, in a correct manner for myself is just to, you have to think if you want it, because, that's the first part because it works for me. And I know it can also work for an introverted, a social person. But if someone doesn't want it, I cannot tell you to do it. So if you say, okay, I want to be more outgoing, that's the first step. So that's just like, okay, we're accepting and we're going, put out a strategy to do that. And what 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 you would need to do is just to identify with someone that maybe has similar interests and start talking to them and not expect yourself to maybe go from introverted to really extroverted. Because I would, as an extroverted person, I would, at this at these trainings or something like that, I would identify those persons that would also be very to themselves. I would go to them and start a conversation with them. And at the first day, I would see that like, hey, it's not, they're not really responding or they would just answer the question and don't add, add, add nothing to that, but I would just go on um, asking and asking and building those relationships. So for an introverted person, it would just give yourself the time, but before you would a- attend such a conference, I would I would always do is just have my personal goals written down and my professional goals. So my professional goals would be like the business side of this, and the personal goals would be, okay, I want to engage with at least 30% of the participants. So I would go out and then and start talking to persons. And what one thing that um, I would always try to do, and a lot of p- persons that know me know that I think like this, is that I would try to have conversations with more than just one person. So if I would talk to you today, maybe tomorrow I wouldn't come talk to you again because we already built some kind of we, we kicked it off. So what people really like to do is they would find a group of two to three persons and then the whole conference would just be with those three persons. And then you exclude maybe 40 to 50 other amazing individuals that you could also learn a lot from. So I would really have my personal goals written down and then go and attack them. So I would would, um, suggest that. But also you don't have to wait for a conference to go engage with person. You could start in your community. Like if you would say, okay, next Friday, I'm going to go to Dream Cafe alone. You don't have to go with anyone. You just go. You, get, you grab a drink. Someone comes. You start a conversation. And it would be awkward at first, but you would grow into it. If I could just add this part, when I was at the university, I think Diego knows it. Before I joined the GCI, because the GCI really pulled out my extroverted side, I would not communicate with students. I would just have my days where I would go attend the to the library. To yeah,
2: here you go to the I, library lecture. Okay,
0: he knows it. He knows it. My real my 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 where you could find me was in the library, but not the the the, the common space. I had a specific place assigned in a room where they just had 15 seats and you couldn't say anything. It was it was an, a special place for persons that didn't want to communicate with anyone else. And then what you needed to do, you needed, they had 15 spaces. And then if you wanted to attend, you had to grab a number. Like if you grab number seven, you go to seat seven. So what I did, maybe now it's not that ethical. I took number eight and I brought it home. So every day I could just go in, <laughs> if it was full, if it was full, you couldn't go in. So I had eight. Everyone knew eight was my space. So I did that for almost two years. Two of the three years, I did that. And in the last year, I started to be more, more outgoing. So I know where it comes from. So that question. This is an
1: interesting story. I think you also tapped into Diego's biggest fear. Talk to as many people as possible during a conference. So <laughs> as you're giving Diego advice, I would like some advice as well because I am actually an extrovert. I talk to a lot of people at conferences, but then I don't follow up. I'm really terrible Mm -hmm. at following up relationships. So how, like, how do you, how do you find a way to actually, when you've clicked with connected with somebody, how do you make sure that you're able to follow up?
0: Yeah, so everything is, you have to make it become a habit. And once it becomes a habit, it will be getting more easier. So now it's easier for me, but I'm just going to tell you how I was do it at first. So I had a file. <laughs> I had a Google Excel file where I would just write those names from those persons down with their email addresses. And then once a quarter, I would send them the same email, but I would send it to them. So that was the first way I started with that. And what I would also do is write at, be behind their name and their email, the interest. So once I would see something that would go about energy, I would contact my mentor, like, Hey, I read this. I think it would be a good fit for you. And sometimes they would respond. Sometimes they wouldn't respond. But at first I really had to put in a lot of effort. And at some point I thought, this is not working. You know, the first two years I thought it wasn't working. And afterwards, I started getting more feedback. People were sending me like, "Hey, I really enjoyed the article you sent me last year." So those kind of things. And with you know holidays, I would send them, "Hey, happy holidays." It's those those small things that really brighten up a person's day. And I think in terms of follow up, it's not just only asking someone how they're doing. It's just like you could send them some resources. So if, you would, if I would have a conversation at a conference with someone, I would say, okay, what are your challenges? And they would say, you know, I'm looking for, I want to start something in China. I want to expand my business there. So if I would see something in that particular topic, subject, I would send it to, to them at once. And sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't respond. But for me, it's just adding value. And once you get that part of your network rolling, maintaining your network, it starts to get easier. And you would also receive opportunities for them. So it becomes a two-way street. And also there's this golden rule. If you connect maybe with 10 persons, maybe you're going to have a real strong bond with maybe three or four and the six, the other six you would maybe, maybe be seeing sometimes on Facebook and they would follow you there. But it's not, it's not mandatory that everyone that you meet, you need to follow up with them every time. It, it it It's just not possible. It's just having that connecting with a lot of persons, filtering it down and having those maybe 100, 200 persons that you can still become more engaged with. And one of the things just to, <laughs> to add to that, some of the person that I engage with at these Conferences I saw at maybe eight conferences because they were just like me in their countries. And I would we would meet up at, at Russia, we would meet up in Trinidad, we would meet up in Netherlands, the same persons, because some smaller countries are where persons are not applying that much. When they would see the names and the stories, they would easily get selected.
2: Do you still keep this Google Doc handy by hand or updated or have you evolve that system into something more (laughs)
0: yeah i've evolved i've evolved it i'm not updating it that frequently anymore no no
2: and speaking of follow up on you know it was mainly through you know an email or just a, a message how you're doing and sending some resources is there any particular social media that you Prefer over maintaining this relationship. You mentioned Facebook before, but you're pretty much active on all social media, from what I've seen. So, yes. how do you even manage that?
0: I, I indeed, I'm on a lot of social media platforms. I'm I'm not on TikTok yet. I'm still thinking about it, but I do have a specific audience I'm targeting at these social media platforms. For instance. My LinkedIn is professional. You would just find only my projects there, opportunities. On Instagram, you would find my traveling site, only traveling, and you know. And of course, on Facebook, I have more also projects, but also a lot of sharing of information, sharing of projects that are developing, asking for feedback from the community. That's that's my most my most engaging platform is, is Facebook. That's that's where I really uh, engage with. Most of my persons and now I've reached 5000 so I I need to every time someone sends me a friend request and I know them I need to go to my list and see that okay this person is not active then I swap I I have to make a swap. But that that's where Do you have your um, followers setting these- on? Yeah, you so all, also follow me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're also okay. following me, but sometimes they want to have you as a friend. So I, I have to, I, I'm, I'm accepting that, yes.
2: Cool, that, that, that is a lot. And I, I think there's a lot of practical advice there for uh, both archetypes of people. So I'm looking at a time and we've yeah. barely scratched the surface of the topics you've mentioned.
1: I feel, to, to, to maybe make it more practical, since we're doing a really practical session at the moment, because it's turning more in a free business consulting session than a social <laughs> convos, which we don't mind, but you know, not at all. I don't think the, the people are tuning in minded either. So I think we should use the overrated, underrated to go about these, these topics that we haven't discussed yet. What do you think? I think we can fit them into overrated, underrated.
2: All right, let's do this. Three each, you ready for this, Moreno? I'm
0: just going to follow because I'm, I, I know... But so quickly I just, quickly about yeah. the overrated, underrated. Yeah. We yeah.
1: give you a, a topic and you tell us whether or not it's overrated or underrated. And of course, because we actually do want to know the backstory <laughs> behind it, we'll let you elaborate yeah. on why you sure. said it yeah. was overrated, underrated, are properly rated.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm going to start off easy and then build it up. I think let's alternate for this one because I need to think the other ones through a bit. But the easy one, I asked this to Ramiro as well a a few weeks ago. And because you both of you guys travel a lot and you both have a Surinamese passport, so I got to ask, a Surinamese passport overrated or underrated?
0: Good question. I think it's properly rated. I, in terms of it giving you the opportunity to visit all countries, you do have some restrictions. Not restrictions like you have to do when you would apply for a visa to enter certain countries. It would be more challenging, but I wouldn't say it's overrated to have a Surinamese passport. No.
1: Okay, so it wasn't getting hard into Russia.
0: No, 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 no. That because that was uh, it was on a governmental level it was settled. It was, oh, okay, okay. Because
1: I, I held, I held the bus down, I held the bus down for I think at least half an hour, on the, on the border of Russia when I went to Saint Petersburg. Oh, <laughs> yeah, with my Surinamese passport. So oh, I'm no, glad no. to hear I, I that you had a better experience.
0: <laughs> I haven't encountered any really challenges based on the Surinamese citizenship entering any country. No.
1: Awesome. Okay. So, overrated or underrated? NGOs?
0: Underrated. Very much underrated, especially in Suriname. So, what I did, just to also, I think I have to say this, that after I joined the GCI in 2013, um, 14, 15, 16, 17, I did a lot of projects. And then I would, because I was building my network, I would start getting more opportunities for from all over the world, getting some grants, and then they would have these requirements that you cannot apply as an individual. You needed to apply as an NGO. But then the GCI has its, how do you say statuta? They have they have these <laughs> rules. And then we couldn't apply for grants, maybe mid of the year, because at the beginning of the year, you have your planning, those things. So then I said, okay, together with my partner, I said, hey, let's have our own NGO. So that's how we started ActNow Foundation um, since 2018. And then now we are three years already also already operating in Suriname uh, in the NGO space. And uh, I think that NGOs, really they're really an active part, like creating impact, in communities. But then one thing that's really challenging for NGOs is the alignment, like having alignment, because maybe some sometimes, maybe Agno Foundation would come and donate, maybe toys to a childcare center, and next week you have social convos coming again. And then you have three centers that don't have anything. So it's more like we need to find this alignment, having more some kind of someone that's at the top that can more coordinate it better, but it's definitely underrated.
2: I want to quickly follow up on that. Uh, a common misconception, I think, with NGOs and you know, uh, non-profit is that they're non-profit and that you can't really, you have to live off of funding, donations, etc. Can you break <laughs> that myth for us? Yeah, so or is it um,
0: NGOs are really that, <laughs> no, 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 NGOs are in, it, in that way that you cannot say at the end of the year that, okay, I have made $20,000 profit from grants or, or, or training that you um, provide. But once you would get a grant, then you would see maybe sometimes they have, not sometimes, all the time they have in those requirements that, okay, you can have 20% for your team to cover administration costs, logistics, anything that needs to go. And you can also have a salary. So you're able to pay yourself for doing community projects. And that is also, that's of course, based on, depending on the donor organization, you have the embassies, you have the United Nations, you have OAS giving out money. And I think that a lot of persons need to realize that Even if you have an NGO and you're doing community work, you're also helping those donor organizations reach their goals. Because once you are going to submit your final report, they're going to take your impact that you created and they're going to add it to social portfolio. So they're also paying you. It's not that they're just using you to create impact and then they are using those numbers. So it's just like a win-win situation. Like, okay, you're doing the project. You're able to have a salary, but then you need to submit those final reports so they can measure the impact um, that they've created with um, doing that. So instead of they're not hiring employees, they're using you to, to do those things.
2: Okay, got it. Okay, next one for me, and we talked about this in the beginning, Sean look at his NBA Top Shot Pack, and that's an NFT. People <laughs> listening often to us, you know know about we're all about nfts lately about the, the development in that space so for you moreno it's probably going to be underrated so i'm i'm going to go specifically solana
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah solana is <laughs> solana is uh, very much underrated i've just bought my first solana nft that was monday today's yeah monday that's the flippies art so i'm just waiting for the distribution but i think that nfts are really going to break a lot of barriers in the world because it really gives you a piece of ownership on a digital asset content from someone that you maybe only see in movies and then you know you just own a piece of those so, such a person their their creation so i think that a lot of persons are not really accepting that i'm really big on if you would see actually my phone i would like to have maybe a background of myself but my background is it has this sign it's uh, it's been here for six months and fifi is one of the nfp platforms that i joined six months ago and it was actually launched seven months ago so in the first month i was on there starting to buy my first nfts there and they have digital comics from marvel dc and wow i can i I, wow the profits the, the the development of course it's it's immense it's immense yes if i if i know now what if I knew then what I know now, I would really <laughs> go all out on on those NFTs.
1: Oh, yeah. we all would. We all would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And yesterday, I bought my first NBA Top Shot NFT, also my big starter pack. <laughs> yes.
1: Congratulations, congratulations! I'm really uh, excited to hear that. So Diego's still one of my over under questions, but no problem, no problem. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of backups. So my next over on overrated underrated would be. Having a supportive partner.
0: Underrated, underrated. I think that having a supportive partner is very important to help you focus also because people would ask me, a lot of you guys know and the audience know that I have a partner, Priscilla, and we do basically a lot of everything together in terms of we are the co-founders of our NGO. We like to travel the world together. We work on projects together. And for me, people are asking, like, sometimes they would ask, like, how are you combining that? Like having those projects and also having, you know, a a partner. And because we are in the same, we have the same interest most, most because she does procurement and don't ask me those things. But most of the things that we do are aligned with each other. It's, of course, we, we have to make time for, you know, having our our our, our spe- special time but most of the time we would just talk about projects having our our, our our sharing our our vision about how we're going to build our NGO to the next level really trying to set a high standard for NGOs here in Lanka, just having like hey we're just trying to back you no, know? so really have a sustainable business model but just to Um, go quickly back to the the statement. Having a supportive partner is really important, especially if you're all busy all the time and not that you think that, okay, I have to leave my things that I do to go there and then maybe you have stress and then you cannot focus. So that, it's very underrated. I would say have a supportive partner or don't have a partner. So That's what I would say.
2: So no (laughs) in-betweens.
0: <laughs> I would say that. I would say that.
2: <laughs> All right, one more for me. Let's let's end this one on a on a lighter note. Then, social media, underrated or overrated?
0: It would be more towards underrated because I think that we can get a lot more out of social media. That I, I'm not judging anyone, but I see people get out of it. And last week I had a session with uh, a trading that I also provide champions. Uh, And I would tell persons that you are in control of what you get onto your timeline in terms of having those persons that you know, like, okay, Chan Luke will be sharing social media stuff. He will be sharing positive content. Diego will be sharing tech content. So you can, you have control over that and you can gain a lot of knowledge. You can connect with persons from different countries, you know? So I think that social media is very much underrated and we are just at the beginning of this era where... Anything would be done to social media because also if we know that we are our generation, we grew up in no in between, but this generation, the younger version, they it's all they know. So it would be very difficult in 30 years for someone to say, I don't have a Facebook. It wouldn't be I I don't think, I would think maybe. 20%, 20% wouldn't, wouldn't have a Facebook, maybe person that don't have access to internet because that's still a challenge in many countries. But persons that have access will also, uh, also be growing up in a social media um, space. But for me, social media has made such a big impact. And I have to say that it has it's challenging for me because when I would be anywhere, Just in Suriname, in the streets, maybe in a store, people would come up to me, greet me, and I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know them. Like I wouldn't know who they are. But the way I am, I would just start a conversation. Hi, how are you doing? Long time! I didn't see you. You know, so I would start a conversation, and when I would walk further, I would tell my partner, "I don't know who it is," but they—they are following you, so they have this feeling that they're engaging with you, so they have this feeling like they know you, they're seeing you grow. And most of the time, they're also sharing stuff. But it has opened many doors. People are sending messages like, hey, I have this project, do you want to join? And of course, I have to add to that, you have to also filter because you cannot join everything. So I would most of the time, not most of the time, sometimes I would refer them, tell them like, hey, this is a nice product, but I think it would be a more a better fit for my colleague or a friend of mine, a professional business partner that could join that, that project. So it has opened a lot of doors for me, social media. It's very much underrated.
1: Okay, so I'm going to try to throw a little bit of a curveball uh, and to see whether or not something will become overrated as well. But overrated, underrated, top down management and strategies.
0: Elaborate. Can you elaborate on that? Because I just want to I want to Decision-making, top-down
1: decision-making, that basically every every decision, every strategy starts from the top and then it's, uh, it's provided down. So basically you have top-down approach and you have bottom-up approach. Bottom-up yeah. approach is called more often yeah. grassroots or like giving a, a larger group of people control over uh, the direction. And the top-down approach is the more traditional route, which a lot of big organizations use. You have one person who has a vision, and basically everything trickles down from there.
0: Yeah. Well, I would think it's between properly rated and overrated, because I know that if you want to have things done quickly, I think it's difficult to have a bottom-up approach, because there will be a lot of discussion. The thing that is that's important is having someone at the top that has really has the vision and then can also communicate that to those different layers and also having those engaging parts, because I I see it also in my organization. There is a bottom and there's a top down approach, but each one of the layers are communicating with each other. So it's like, okay, the, the manager would communicate with the superintendents and have their feedback. And those superintendents would communicate with those persons in the field and have their mm-hmm. feedback. So it wouldn't be from the top, from the bottom up, but it would be something in between. Because if you are if you would go try to please everyone from the bottom, it's very difficult because persons are looking at it from a different perspective. So I think that if the intentions from the top are very much good and ethical, everything, then it shouldn't be a problem to have a a top-down approach.
1: So intent would be underrated. Yeah. Having a good intent is underrated. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Awesome. I think, yeah,
1: I think we went through a few of them,
2: definitely some more surface to uncover there, but I think we're going to leave it at that for today. Moreno, first of all, appreciate it for you coming on. I don't know how you manage doing all that and just showing up for all these, you know, talks, trainings, just conversations. But then again, as you said, you love striking up conversations with anybody. So from that perspective, this would be just another conversation for you with having that you would have (laughs) with people on the streets only uh, somewhat longer. So to close this off, Moreno, What can people expect from you in the near future and how can they connect with you? How can they find you? Apparently you already have 5,000 Facebook friends. So unless you really, really know Moreno, then you can friend them on Facebook. But what are the alternatives? So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So of course, first um, on LinkedIn, I'm LinkedIn, I'm I'm also very active. So there... People can connect with me. They can also follow follow me on Instagram. And all all my social media channels are just Marino Jackson. So it's not, you don't have to go find um, other names. So it's very easy to find me. And in the near future, well, I have some some projects. The next month, we are starting with a project that we won. Actually, Priscilla won it. Let me just, let me give her the credit. (laughs) She won it. And we are starting with a project called Ending Domestic Violence, so we are doing that project for the co- coming 10 months where we will be talking to survivors of domestic violence, going to school, training boys and girls about how, how to deal with their emotions, going to make a big media campaign. So that's that's something that they will be definitely seeing uh, me or other persons in, in in the spotlight for that. We have the Global Entrepreneurship Week coming up in from 8 to 14 November. And we are working with the Ministry of Entrepreneurship and Economic Affairs to organize that week, like in top. It's going to be amazing. We, I can tell you guys that. And, well, next month, I look together with Priscilla I'm going to take part at the International Experience in India. So we are going there for uh, eight days. So yeah, that's that's this year. And of, of course having my startup huddle sessions each month, we are actually ce- celebrating one year startup huddle. Shout out to my team, Samani is also here, she's listening. <laughs> Shout out to her also for that initiative. And of course we are doing the Flares program, the female-led innovative rural startups. So with, with that, we are having two day women entrepreneurship conference by the end of October. So we're also doing that. And so I think that most of the time by the end of the year, the last two months, I really want to just settle down, refuel, and then January start. But I think that this year I have to shift that because there are a lot of things to be done. Yes. But I'm a night owl. So at night now, my brain just opens up. I go to work. And in the morning, I'm also active because I have coffee. So i'm active all of the
1: time so so there are two two compliments there first of all just in the next one one two months you've mentioned five projects which is like it's already amazing but secondly i do have to give you a shot because well you're one of the few guests and diego often says is get a get a, a warm a cup a cup of tea or a warm drink or warm beverage. And you're one of actually the guests who went out just before we started we get a, <laughs> a warm a heat beverage. Oh, yeah. So I have yeah, to give yeah, a yeah. shout out to that uh, to that as well. Diego, let's uh, close off the segment. What can people expect from us? When will everything be uploaded?
2: Yes. So to close this off, everyone in the comments, thank you guys again for tuning in. Appreciate all the comments. Appreciate all the love you've been sending to Moreno. And this episode, as usual, will be released on Saturdays. All Social compost episodes are released on Saturdays and distributed to all podcasting platforms. So listen to it on your favorite platforms. Again, there's definitely some nuggets in this one. If you missed any previous episodes, check them out on the website or any platform. And with that being said, yeah, I think that that was it for today. Shanluk, yeah. if you have anything to add, feel free and then you can close this off and go to the backstage.
1: Thank you to our guest, Moreno. Thank you once again. Thank you, Diego. Thank you for everybody listening. This has been Social Confos. See you back next Tuesday. Same same place, same time. Bye-bye.
0: Bye, guys. Thank you guys for having me.